Chapter 2. That's a sound I haven't heard. <laughs> There's a reason God gives you children when you're 20. And I think women have an extra chromosome that they can handle. The men don't have that chromosome, I don't think. No, they don't. Okay, we're in the book of Acts. Who knows what this sermon is going to be like? Um, All right. I'm in a sermon series in the book of Acts, but I want to back up and do a topical on what we just did. And not really the baptism business, but the promises to you and to your children. And so I'm going to turn in your Bibles to Acts 2. And I'm going to read from Acts 2 to 22 to 39. I think that's the text. 39 is the verse I want to unpack. So it's going to be a thematic sermon, but I want to read that larger context so we know what's going on in the passage. Um, The title of the sermon is The Promises to You and to Your Children. This is people within the visible household of faith. And then he says to as many as far off, that would be Gentiles. If I could bring it up to... The language now, it's to the people in the church and the people outside of the church. And how is he going to bring people outside of the church? He's going to send us to them. Okay, Acts 2.22. Hear the perfect word of our perfect God. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross... By the hands of godless men, you put him to death, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible, it was impossible, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue exalted, moreover my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this this which you both see and hear. It was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are our Father. You do, you're in heaven and we are here at your footstool upon the earth. 
I pray, Spirit of God, that you would have mercy and pity upon me, that my, the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart, everything would be acceptable to you, that you would help me, Holy Spirit, preach the word, um, and uh, my own thoughts, Lord, would be put away, and that you would feed your people on your Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us understand these promises, appropriate them, and live accordingly um, to your glory and the extension of your kingdom. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, obviously, the reason I chose the topical that I chose, the promises to us and to our children, is because of the baptism that we just had, the baptism of um, my daughter's second little uh, boy. And so on the administration of, of, of the sacrament, I just want to say something, what I'm going, not going to do and what I am going to do. The sermon's not going to be a sacramental sermon. I have preached sacramental sermons before. This is not a sermon on the sacrament. It's not a, a sermon on the sacrament of baptism. This is not what I would call a polemical sermon. So polemical means this. Uh, this view is right and that view is wrong. And so this is one of the things that does make a distinction. Baptizing the infant children of believers. This makes a distinction between us as Reformed Presbyterians and say our Baptist um, friends and brothers. So our Baptist friends and brothers who love the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth, they would say, nope, you, you, you shouldn't bring your kids to be baptized. And we say, no, they're members of the church as children. They're members of the covenant as children. They're to be baptized. Just like Isaac was circumcised, we are to bring our children to be baptized. That's the argument. And so it does make a distinction. I, it's not the fundamental of the gospel. Baptism is not. The sacraments are not the fundamental of the gospel. They point to the gospel. They testify to the truth of the gospel, but they're not the gospel. So early on in my ministry, maybe I would like to fight about these things. The older I get, the less I like to fight about things. There are things I will fight with about. I don't, and when I fight, I mean um, I won't back up. Um, the gospel is something that we can't ever give away, that we are justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, uh, by grace alone. And so that's something that we can't back up. Now, who gets baptism? How much water should be given in baptism? If you believe in Jesus and you get the gospel right, you're a brother in the Lord. And so these differences may be an intramural debate, but it's, it's debate between brother and brother, though they can get very contentious. That's not my purpose. If you want to see a, a polemical discussion on why we baptize children, there's an infant, there's a insert in your bulletin. And then if you really want to see a fuller treatment, um, go to the, the church website. I have a blog on why we baptize believers, and you can, you can study that. But So th- this is not that. My purpose is to look at verse 39. So look at verse 39 in your Bibles there. And I, I want to unpack the first half of 39. The promise is to you and to your children, and the far off are the Gentiles. And so that's the Ephesians 2, 12 through 21. So far off is the Greeks, the Romans, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So the gospel is going to go forth around the world. Those are the far off. And the ones that God calls, we believe the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit, sovereign grace. But we want to look at that first half. I want to. The promise is for you and for your children. And so we're going to look at two things in that, that, that sermon. Um, is What's the promise? And who's making this promise? So that's the first part. And the second part is the parties that he's making the promise to. It's to you and to your children. And I'm going to tell you right away, because sometimes in my sermons, 
I'm top heavy and that I can't get around to my, my second part of my sermon. I want to just introduce this business to you and to your children. And I, hopefully I'll get around to unpacking it a little bit in more detail, but I'm going to tell you right away. This is to people that have repented of their sins. They believe in Jesus as the Christ for the remission of their sins. They love God in Christ, that they're Christians. And in this context, it's a Christian husband because it's at a, it's at a feast for adult male Jews. So when he says the promise is for you, he just talks to people that have repented and believed in Jesus. But they're all males. They're all adult males. And they're all adult Jewish males because it's at the Feast of Pentecost. And that's important. He says to these Jewish adult males who are dads, he says the, the promise is to you, Jewish adult male who believes in Jesus, for your children. Very significant. So our life is a gift of God to us. And then our new life as born-again Christians is a, is a new life given to us in Jesus Christ. And, and again, I'm just summarizing what I want to get to later because I don't want to miss it. And then our marriages. We produce children in marriage. So when he says the promise is to you and to your children, he means believer, believing man, believing husband, believing father, married to a believing woman, the mother of his children. And God will say, believing dad, believing mom, the promise is to you and to your children. I'm going to say this. If you are a husband and a Christian, a born-again Christian husband, your marriage is a gift from Almighty God to you. And if he gives you children and you're a dad, those children are a gift of God to you and to your wife. And you know what you're supposed to do as regards to your wife if you're a husband? As regards to your children if you're a dad? You're supposed to consecrate them to Jesus Christ. So when you look at this, you think, well, we're going to fight about who gets the water or how much we get get the water. I'm just going to say this. Both the Baptist, the the, the Anabaptist, and the Pado or Covenant Baptist, we both baptize our children. Let's, Let's not kid one another. We baptize our kids at two months old. You baptize your kids at 7 to 12 years old. We both baptize the children of believers because we don't treat them as heathens because the Bible says they're holy. And that's my point. If you are a Christian husband, you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You're supposed to help her serve Jesus and know Jesus. And if God gives you kids and you're a dad, your whole purpose on the planet is to lead them to Jesus and to help them follow Jesus, both in word and in deed. So we'll look at that later, okay? I probably gave the show away. But that, that's, I just don't want to miss that. So how is he going to make this promise effectual? He's going to use you, husbands. He's going to use you, dads, and you mums and you wives to, to bring your little ones to know and to love and to serve Jesus. But let's look at the promise. So we're told right away that God makes this promise. This promise is to you and to your children. The promise, the content of the promise is from 22 to 38. But I want to give us a dictionary definition of what a promise is. Most of us know intuitively what it is, but let me just state what it is. A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or a particular thing will happen. So it's a pledge made by someone to someone else that something will be done for them or something will be kept from them. So positively and negatively. 
some older words for a promise, warrant. You have a, not, not warrant, we're coming to arrest you. You have a warrant to believe. Uh, related ideas to promise. I pledge, I swear, I vow, which is what my son-in-law and my daughter just did. I vow, I promise. And the older word behind this promise idea is I covenant. So when you get married, when the boy, the shiny boy goes to the shiny girl and they're both new and everything's swell and no one's fighting yet, and they say, I, I swear to God, I'm covenanting. That's a promise. Um, an English Puritan named Christopher Love said, a covenant is a bundle of promises. And related to this promise is faith in the promise. So when we were kiddos, if our dads or mums said, I promise to take you out. I don't know. We didn't have Cracker Barrel in Boston. But I promise to take you to Cracker Barrel. Or we, we would go to Hojo's. I promise to take you to Hojo's. And so as a little kid, what are you doing the whole week? I'm waiting for the acquisition of that promise. So we have something is being stated or assured to be done for another party, by another party. And then there's the faith in that promise, which we would say um, shows us the way that we receive that promise. Now, I want to bring in not just the dictionary definition of what a promise is, but God the Holy Spirit uses particular Greek words here for the promise. And it's interesting that the word he uses for promise here, look at verse 39 and then look at verse 33, same word. That word, the Greek word for promise is very close to the Greek word for um, gospel. The Greek word for promise is epangelia and the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. So epangelia is the promise, euangelia is the, uh, is, it means the gospel, the good news. And this is important for us when we're considering, so what is this promise and who's making it? Epangelia means announcement. It's a proclamation. And we've, we've asked, so who, who is the party that makes this promise? Is it our dad? Is it our mom? Is it the minister? No. When God says through the apostle Peter, the promise is for you, it's not Peter making the promise. It's God making the promise. Beloved, can the God of the Bible lie? Can he lie? The Bible says he cannot lie. That God is truth personified. Jesus says, I am the way and the what? And the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Lies are of the devil, the father of lies. So God who is truth personified, who cannot lie, says, I'm making a promise to you. Now, beloved, when our earthly dads or earthly moms, let's say, how many marriages start off? I swear to God, I promise, says the boy. I swear to God, I promise, says the girl. You set your watch and three minutes later, they say, you know what? I didn't sign up for all this squawking. I'm gone. What happened to the promise? It's gone. Even a well-meaning dad or a well-meaning mom says, I promise could they always affect the promise? No. Not even in a sinful way. Why? Things happen. Stuff happens. I can't do it. Why? Because I'm in the hospital. I can't, take you to jo- I can't take you to Howard Johnson's because I'm sitting in the hospital. When God makes a promise, beloved, does he bring it to pass? God will make good every promise. If God- and the promise here is I'm going to bring my Christ in. 
and I'm going to bring all of my people to my Christ. I, I promise. So this is a promise by Almighty God that he gives. And he says, I promise to be a God to you and to your children. Now, in my notes, what I did, and I recommend that you do this. I hope everybody here is a Christian. I know we do the smartphone and everything. I'm for the smartphone Bible. I suppose it has some use. It's not good for Bible study. If you're going to study your Bible with that little thing, it's lousy. You're not going to know your Bible very well. Get your old-timey Bible and get a pencil, a pen, and a highlighter. And the reason I'm saying that is when you look at your little smartphone, you get, what, three inches? You can't see all around. You won't, you won't be able to work your Bible. When you open up your Bible, real Bible, paper Bible, you take a highlighter and you look at t- t- verse 22. And I, I know this, is, this sounds stupid, but I'm telling you the truth. You won't be good with your Bible if it's just a little thing. You won't. Verse 22 to 38. If you had your paper Bible in a highlighter, which is what I did, what's this promise? Look at the text. Just look at your passage. Men of Israel... Listen to these words. Jesus, him in your midst, this man you nailed to a cross. God raised him. David says of him, I saw the Lord. Your holy ones make your enemies this Jesus whom you crucified. If you took a highlighter and went through every one of those verses, what's the promise? Who's the promise? Jesus is the promise. This isn't like, I promise you're going to be healthy in this life. That's a lie. I promise you're going to be wealthy in, the, in, in this life. That's a lie too. What does God say? I'm going to bring Christ in. And, and he's going to save his people from their sins. And his kingdom will have no end. That's the promise. That's the promise God makes. God has promised to bring in the Christ. That's why that word, epangelia, is so close to the gospel word, euangelia. Because in the Bible, God will often use the word, the promise, as a synonym for the gospel. Now, I'm going to ask you something, beloved. If we were in another church, I'd say raise your hand, but they'll take my Presbyterian stripes away. Raise your hand in your head, because I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you were raised in a church with, with a Bible, and you heard the gospel? In your head, raise your hand. Okay, and if I asked you, tell me the gospel. You have 30 seconds. You can't go on the internet. Nothing. Tell me the gospel and give me a Bible passage. Go. Could you do it? Could you do it? This is a promise to you and to your children. And what's the promise? The promise is to bring in the Christ. Where's the promise? What is it? What's the gospel? Well, I asked a young man, going to marry a Christian girl many years ago. Hey, and I knew he wasn't a Christian. They came into my office And she said, I want you to marry me to my boyfriend. I already knew he wasn't a Christian. And so I said, okay, I have some questions for you. And I'm throwing him Jesus beach balls. Jesus, tell me who's Jesus. I said, who's Jesus? Oh, yeah, he's great, great. Tell me what he's come to do. Oh, he's come to do lots of stuff, lots of stuff. Beloved, what's the gospel? When you watch a baseball game, there's some guy out in left field or right field. He's holding up a scripture verse. For God so what? God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise. That's the promise. If you look at our passage over and over and over again, 
and you, crucif- you crucified him, and you crucified him, and you crucified him. Jesus dies for our what? Our sins. And he rises for our justification. So this is the promise. God is making this promise. Throughout the ages, I'm going to bring my son in. I'm going to bring my redeemer in. And I'm going to bring all of my people to my Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one comes to me but by those uh, who have been gifted by the Father. And the Father draws them to me. And anyone that comes to me, I'll never turn them away. So the, the word promise and the word uh, our gospel are being used interchangeably. And, and God says to these people, I promise to send you the Christ. And, I, and, and for whoever will believe in him will have eternal life and not pass into eternal death. That's what Peter says. And I want you to see that's what he says, but I also want us to see what he doesn't say is the promise. And this is significant because some people do this. I, I mentioned this morning, AA, Emotions Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. I used to go to one of the anonymouses. And in that, they would say, the God of your own understanding, the Jesus of your own understanding, you get to make him up. If you make up your own Jesus, you, fake Jesuses don't take you to a real heaven. Fake Jesuses don't forgive you of your real sin. You need a real, you need a real Jesus. And it's significant that he says the promise is Jesus. And it's significant what he doesn't say the promise says. L- look at what he doesn't say. Um, so the promise is um, to everyone who keeps the law. The law keeping is the promise. He doesn't say you should obey the moral law and then you'll go to heaven. And if you teach your kids to obey the moral law, then they'll go to heaven. That's the promise. Oh, beloved, is that the promise? Promise and law keeping in the Bible are are set as as antithetical to one another. Read the book of uh, Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 6. The promise is, is the gospel, the law is not of faith. So promise is gospel as seen as in relationship to justification and, and, or salvation, they're antithetical. So Jesus, God does not say through, through Peter, um, the promise is your law keeping, what you do or what you do for your children or what your children do. Um, beloved, the gospel is not what we do. You hear sometimes, and I, I know everybody in this church is sick of me saying it, but I, I will tell you the truth. I'm sick of hearing Christians say it. Christians say, I'm going to live the gospel. I want to break furniture when I hear that. This is so not true. The gospel is not what we do. The gospel is what Jesus does. We don't die for our sins. Jesus dies for our sins. So if the, if the promise is like, I'm going to do, if we did anything and attached it to the gospel, what does Paul say in Romans 11? Add one of your works to Jesus' work. What do you do? You ruin it. So the promise is the gospel. The promise is not law-keeping. I don't get exercised with brothers and sisters that want to dunk their 7- to 12-year-old kids. You say tomato, I say tomato. It, it doesn't, I don't get exercised. I get exercised when people change the promise for law-keeping because you rob people of heaven. My Baptist brothers and me who love the same Jesus, we're going to figure it out in heaven. But if you change the gospel promise for law-keeping, I'm not going to see you in heaven. So Peter doesn't say to the Christian dads and moms, you're saved by what you do, and you teach your kids, you're saved by what you do. Folks that think they're saved by what they do, what do we call them in the Bible? You're a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. 
And Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 20, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. So it's the promise. It's the gospel that Jesus Christ uh, saves sinners that's being put out there. Who here has ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Ever read that book? Famous book. Uh, John Bunyan. And John Bunyan was a Baptist preacher, 1600s. They threw him in jail for preaching the gospel. And they said, we don't want you to preach that gospel. John Bunyan has this statement. This is law gospel. And gospel is the promise. This is John Puritan, John Bunyan. He wrote, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. The law says you better be perfect or you're going to go to hell. That's it. The gospel says Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Believe in him and be saved. Repent and be cleansed from your sins. Not what we do. That's the promise. The promise is God will save us in Jesus. Now, when we see the effectual reception of that in this passage, it's to those that repent and believe. The whole text is um, the promise is for you that repent of your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Beloved, I mentioned, and I asked the question, were you raised in the church? And I asked the question, do you know what the gospel is? I'm going to ask you another question, if you, for raised in the church. Do you know what repentance is? So the reception of this promise to those that repent, to those that believe, what's repentance? I feel really lousy, I was drunk as a skunk and tried to break in someplace and I'm laying in jail somewhere. I feel really bad. Is it feeling bad? No. No, it's not feel bad. When I was an unbeliever, I felt bad all the time. When I woke up in the morning, I felt horrible. Feeling bad is not repentance. It's metanoieo. Change in mind, change in heart. We agree with God that what we've done is a sin against God. It's saying to God what David says in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Against you, O God, what? I have sinned. Everybody cries. Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, you name it. If you're in a pickle, you're going to cry and you're going to feel like a schnook if you do something to feel like a schnook. It's, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There's a worldly sorrow that works death. That's not repentance. Every, watching someone do boo-hoo, boo-hoo, that's not Repentance. Heavenly sorrow. Jesus Christ, forgive me, Jesus. God, forgive me. I've sinned against your holy law. I've hated people that you told me to love. I'm not loved. Jesus, forgive me. I've asked so many people that quit church people who have been baptized three times. Have you ever repented? What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, cried a few tears. Ask God. God, forgive me of my fornication. Forgive me of my drug addiction. Forgive me of my abuse. God, have mercy. Have you ever done that? So the promise is for people to say, I hate my sin. Jesus, save me. I had a prayer this morning. I was really going off the wall this morning. It's just everything was going wrong. Here was my prayer. Jesus, help me. Jesus Christ, help me. This is the acquisition of the promise. The promise is for you and for your children. How will I acquire it? Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. And what do I teach my kids? Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. But my kids are perfect. They never sin. Who are you kidding? They're like us. We're wrecks. They're wrecks. 
Am I right with that? Well, Dad, you were a drunk. You were a fornicator. You're this. You're that. Guilty as charged. But so what? You're a little Pharisee. You need to repent. I heard you cuss the other day. You need to repent. And for everyone that repents, what does God say? I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So this is not a stunner. This isn't how much water we get. This gospel promise is to you that repent. And the whole, the whole tenor is repent and believe. I believe repentance is a fruit of true faith. We have a, a, a section in our catechism that talks about justifying faith. Real repentance is apprehending the mercy of God in Jesus. If you had a mom and a dad that were not, let, let's say a dad, because moms, all moms, most moms are like merciful, right? Dads sometimes, because we have lousy jobs and we're angry all the time, we can be not merciful. If you were a kid and broke one of the 380 house rules, let's say, and you're in a real jam, like you're in a real jam, and you need mercy, and your father wasn't merciful, would you go to him? No way. Girls get pregnant in their teenage years, and they're terrified to tell their dad, their Christian dad, so they go kill the baby. (laughs) Because they're terrified they're not going to get mercy from their dad. No one ever comes to Jesus Christ. No one. I don't care. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if your dad's the machin, the start of the denomination. I don't care if you've robbed a bank. If you go to Jesus and say, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He'll have mercy on you. And he washes you from all your sins. And you say, what about this baptism business? The acquisition of the promise through baptism. There's a man, his name's Derek Thomas. He's a Welshman. He baptized my first grandson. Am I right with that, Jess? Yeah. Um, He has this statement. It's really insightful. It's on baptism. If I can find it. I hope I can. Yeah. This is Derek Thomas on the baptism. Baptism is not a sign of faith, but baptism is a sign to faith. I want to say that again because it's so good. Baptism is not a sign of faith, but it is a sign to faith. Baptism beckons those who are baptized to place their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Baptism points to Christ and seals his promise as trustworthy. And beloved, what Derek Thomas puts his finger on is this. I was a Baptist for a long time, and now I'm what I am now. Baptists and Presbyterians talk by one another in baptism. And the, the Presbyterian says this, baptism is the visible corporal sign of the oral gospel promise. It's the gospel in type and shadow. It's God's promise. That's the Presbyterian or Reformed. And the Baptist comes and says, no, it's a, a, a sign and a seal of my faith in the gospel promise. So we argue, we're pouring different meanings into the same word and we argue past one another. But my desire with the sermon is way bigger than that. It's beyond the water fight. It's looking at this promise is made to you, adult, who has just repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and the promises to your kid. No, parent. I don't care if you're Episcopalian. I don't care what denomination you are. If you know the forgiveness of God in Jesus, if you really do, because there's an ability to be in the church 
but not in Christ. Am I right with that? The ability to be in the church, but not in Christ. To say you're a Christian, but to not possess Christ and know Christ. But for the person that knows Jesus, you know the forgiveness of your sins. You know the love of God in Jesus Christ. And, and Episcopalian, Pres- Presbyterian, Methodist, Congregationalist, Independent, Pentecostal, but they love Jesus. And they have a kid. What does every mother and father do for their little baby? Son, daughter, love Jesus. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus, when you die, he'll receive you to his presence. Everybody does this. Everybody does it. So it's not as different as we think that it is, but this promise is that we'll be forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. I mentioned earlier the entity through which God brings us this gospel promise and thus the remission of our sins. And I touched on that this is, um, if you look at verse 22, you'll see it, men of Israel. These are Jews. This is the Feast of Pentecost. And he's making this promise to people that are Jews. Now they're believing in Jesus Christ as Jews. And he says to you, Jew, Israelite, the promise that God will save you and to your children um, is being made now. Beloved, many of us as New Testament Christians, we come to the Bible like it was written in the 1800s. But the Bible wasn't written in the 1800s. The church didn't start with the Kentucky revivals. So when Peter says the promise is to you and your children, for us in the New Testament church, we think, we can't mean kids are in because my folks are Baptists, my grandfather's Baptist. It can't mean kids are in the, in, included. Take your Gentile hat off for a second and go put your Old Testament Jewish hat on for a second. He's quoting Genesis 17 to them. That's what he's quoting. That's why we did what we did. Acts 2.39 is a repetition of Genesis chapter 17. God says to Abraham, I will be a God to you and what? Your children after you. So these Jews who are raised with the Bible are being told the New Testament epoch opens the very same way that the Old Testament epoch opens. The gospel promise for those who repent and believe, it's to you and it's to your children. I want to ask you, Something, Mothers and fathers, I don't care how much water you think, what you th- who, who you think it should go on. I want to ask you, mothers and fathers, if the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you and you have kids, what's your next desire for? Save my children. Save my children. Let's say we're on the Titanic and it's going down. Nowadays, I mean, we're so, the culture is so whacked. I think historically when it went down, all the men were putting all the women and the kids on and the men went down with the ship. Sad to say, I think if it would happen now, the guys would say, I claim to be a woman and jump on the thing and the women would go down with the the ship. Which, Which believing mother would not say, my child, my child, save my child. Which believing father is not going to say, save my, save my son. My son's in jail. My son's in a pickle. My son's held in bondage. Save my son. Right? That's exactly what's going on. And the way that God prospers this, I'm going to call Israel right here the church. They're the visible household of faith. The promises to those who are born in the church. If you were born in the church, I had a guy one time say to me, his dad was a Baptist minister. He said to me, my kids have no special promises that the kids of unbelievers have. Are you serious? 
His dad was a Baptist minister and his grandfather was a Baptist minister. I said, were you raised going to church? Yeah, all the time. Did you have Bibles in the house? Yeah, like 10 of them. Did you pray with your folks? All the time. So if we go where my wife was born, way up 70 miles outside of Nepal, what do they have there? Muslims and Hindus. Muslims and Hindus have Bibles? Do they go to church? No. And what kind of kids do they have? Muslims and Hindus. I'm looking at a church. I'm looking at a church. That's the realization of this promise. And I don't care if you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian. If you love Jesus Christ, anybody in your family know Jesus? Did your mom teach you to love Jesus? Yes, she did. Where did, where did Timothy learn to love Jesus? People think it's the minister's job. Minister, here's my kid. You've got to bring him to Jesus. You've got to tell them that forgiveness is in Jesus. Oh, no, Mama, Daddy, you got that wrong. I'll tell them about Jesus, but you're the first teacher. Remember I said, Christian boy marries Christian girl. That marriage is a gift. This is to whom the promises are made. This isn't made to church. This is not made to churchgoers. This is a promise to believers. Let me stress that. Believers and their children. This is not a promise made to churchgoers and their children. I went to church as a Roman Catholic way more than most Protestants. Way more. I sat on a hard wooden bench, no fluffy chairs. Is not made to churchgoers and their children. People that read a Bible once and their children is made to believers. People that know Jesus, people that have repented of their sins, people that follow Jesus. And those guys go looking for what kind of girls to marry. Girls that know Jesus. So when a boy walks in and he says, Pastor, I want you to marry me to my girlfriend. And she doesn't know Jesus from a hole in a wall. But she is Shazam. He's marrying her because she's good looking. And I said to a boy who was going to marry a girl just like this, is it important for you to, for your kids, whatever God gives your kids, to love Jesus? Yeah, Pastor, it's really important. Well, you can kiss that goodbye. Because that heathen girl that's hot, hot, hot looking, she's with him all day long. You're at the factory working. She doesn't love Jesus. She's not telling him about Jesus. She hates Jesus. So the way God works this promise is, is not... This is not rocket science. The first person to ever tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ is your mom. And when did she start praying for you? The moment the doctor said, you're pregnant. That's when she started praying. She started praying, putting her hands on her stomach. And then if you had a believing dad, when did he start praying for you? The moment the doctor said his wife's pregnant. So these promises are made to a husband that loves his wife like Christ loves the church or tries to. These promises are made to wives that respect their husbands as unto the Lord or try to and then God gives them a little baby believer, believer what do believers think? unbelievers hear, you're pregnant, what do they hear? oh, are you kidding me? how am I even going to pay rent? man that loves Christ woman that loves Christ, God gives you a kid what should you say? What is, what is baby to you as a believer? I, I'm dead serious. What is, a, what is a baby to you as a believing dad or mom? What is it? You better say it's a blessing from God. It's a blessing. This promise is to people who say, that boy, that girl is God's blessing to me and this wife I love like Christ loves the church. That's the promise. Now, for dads and moms with kiddos, what should we say when we look and go, 
My kid does love Christ. My kid has repented. What should you say? I guess that perfect homeschool system that I bought online worked pretty good. No, that completely messed them up, by the way. We were homeschoolers. We're still messed up, me and my wife. What should you say if your kid really loves Jesus? Thank you. Why do you you know Christ and your mother doesn't? Why do you know Christ and most of your friends don't? Why, Why have you repented and most of the world has never repented? It's grace. It's grace. When we think that we're going to make a Jacob, the Puritans would say, God's going to give you an Esau. You be careful. Be careful. So if our kids like really love Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you fulfilled that promise because it's all you. I did my best job to mess them up, and it's all you. And what are we supposed to do if we see that our kids don't know Jesus? And they outright say, hey, Dad, Mom, remember the Jesus you told me? I'm not buying it. I'm an atheist now. I'm the president of the atheist club. What should you do then? You should pray. What should you do after that? Pray some more. (laughs) When should you stop praying? When you die. When you die. Well, they're, they're 57. And I'm 77. Keep praying. Keep praying. J.C. Rowell, you know, he's my favorite guy. I love him. I can't wait to meet J.C. Rowell. All of his kids. This guy's a rock star. His kids were not walking with the Lord. You know what he said? Maybe God will answer this prayer and answer this promise in my lifetime, but maybe not. Maybe after I'm dead in God, my 80-year-old son will come to know Jesus. So one, if they believe, we thank God. And two, if they don't, we pray to God. And then we labor to set an example of Jesus before them. I, 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 I want to say this and quit. I'm going to talk to the dads. I'll throw the moms in there, but the dads, because I, I, I'll throw the, talk to the dads. Christian dad. Christian husband, Christian dad. you got kids. Grown, I don't care how, how old they are. We do what we want to do. People do what they want to do. Well, I can't go to church, Pastor. I can't do this. I can't read the Bible. No, no, no. You do what you want to do. You've go, you, you got plenty of time for golf, kung fu, whatever. You, we do what we want to do. And what we do reveals really what we believe. And where we spend our time and talents shows us what we really love. Dads. Son, I'm going to drop you off at church. Go get a little Jesus. I'm going to the pancake house. And what's the kid doing? This is a joke. Dad thinks this is a joke. I, I, I want to grow up and be just like Dad. And the boy turns 15 and says, I'm going to the pancake house. Who taught him that? I dropped him off at church. You did. (laughs) So the kids are going, yeah, Jesus. But you don't believe him. So our kids are watching us. Dads, where do we put our time? Remember the promises to believers, not churchgoers. Who's going to lead your wife in the things of the Lord? You. You lead her in the Bible. You lead her in prayer. You lead her in struggling and fighting against the world of flesh and the devil. Who's going to lead your children? You are. God just gives you this little kid or big kid or whatever. Now we have another person to pray with. Another person to, to teach him how to, to repent. This is why as dads and moms, when we mess up in front of our kids, repent to them. You're teaching them repentance. 
I'm going to close with this on a funeral. Not the funeral I've just, not the two funerals I've just been to. Dads, I'm going to talk to you again. Mom's here, but dads, we leave a legacy. Christian dads leave a legacy. And we're leaving a legacy to our kids. When we die, we leave a legacy. And so my dad was a businessman, blah, 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 blah. Everything around the dinner table, and I love my dad. My dad's dead, but I love my dad. Everything was a deal. Everything was money, 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 business, business, business. I knew this was like osmosis. I grew up with it. Um, now, the other thing that the, the legacy my dad left is he loved my, my mother fanatically. So he left that wonderful legacy. But you dads are going to leave a legacy to your kids. And I'm going to give you two snippets of two different funerals. And this is the legacy. And this is the promise. This is the promise to us and to our children. One funeral, the sad funeral that I performed. Three boy, uh, two boys and a girl in their 30s. Not boys, but adults. The older boy stood up talking about his dad. He said, my dad taught me to hunt and fish. Talked about hunting and fishing. Second boy stood up and said, my dad taught me to hunt and fish. And I'm sitting in the back. The girl stands up. She's in her late 20s. My dad liked to drink craft beer. He liked craft beer. He didn't like the cheap stuff. And they would go to New Orleans. They'd go to Louisiana. And they'd go ghost hunting. And I'm in the back. That's the legacy. My dad liked to hunt and fish. And my dad liked craft beer. And my dad would go ghost hunting goes hunting. That's one legacy. Then another legacy by one of our elders, one of our elders who's not here, your husband. He said to me, my dad taught me what it means to be in Christ. He taught me about Jesus. He taught me the gospel. He taught me what repentance is. He called me to believe in Jesus. He showed me while he lived with cancer for 15 years what it means to, to, to live and serve Jesus with a cancer cross on your back. And this is what our, our, our brother Tony taught us about his dad. Not only did my, my dad show me what it means to live for Jesus, Tony said, my dad showed me how to die in Christ. Beloved, I want that legacy. I hope if my son or my daughter at my funeral... Jesus. Hunting and fishing's okay. Craft beer's okay. But our kids are watching. We are the greatest teachers. Christian mom, Christian dad, you are the greatest teacher. I've, I've talked too long. The promise is to you and to your children. Look to Jesus. Tell your kids, look to Jesus. As long as they live, as long as you live, look to Jesus. May God be pleased with the preaching of this morning. Ooh.